0: Well, we're going to go ahead and continue in the series that we are in, in the book of Mark, the Jesus way, as we're walking through the life and the teachings of Jesus. And this morning, we're going to look at, it's one of the hardest passages in the New Testament. Honestly, it is. It's one of those that's debated. It's a challenging text, but I think God's got a very clear message for us. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13 here with me this morning. As you're turning there, uh, we had an amazing time yesterday as we had a, a workshop on the book of Psalms this morning. We had Pillar Seminary, and there was about 100 of us here. It was challenging. For those who were here, I know they will never look at the book of Psalms the same ever again. It's honestly expanded and opened their understanding of Scripture. And so we'll have opportunities like that, we encourage you to jump in when you can. Would you stand with me? As we're going to read our primary text, if you're a guest, this is just our tradition, nothing sacred about it, just to stand and say, God, we honor your word more than anything else. Mark chapter 13, verse 28 says this, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly, I tell you. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Let's pray. God, we we thank you that you want to speak to us today. And so, Lord, I pray, even in a passage that's challenging to get a hold of, God, I pray that you would reveal your truth to us. And Father, we would walk out of here with something to hold on to that would change the way we live. Pray that in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You can be seated. I wanna start this morning. I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to say what was or is the most difficult subject for you in school, okay? What was or is the most difficult subject for you when you were in school? Some of you gotta remember a little ways back. You can do it. Some of you smarty pants didn't have any problems at all. It's fine. How many of you, math was your difficult subject? You struggle with math. It's okay. It's okay. Some need help with that. How many of you, it was like reading or writing or English, those kind of classes? That was a struggle. That's fine. That's great. And you struggle with PE class. That was your issue. Okay. No? Okay. That's fine. How many of you ever took a foreign language? Did you ever take a foreign language? Okay. Take a foreign language. That's great. See, I, uh, I grew up taking Spanish uh, anybody else take Spanish class? I'm um, Love Spanish. It was great, except I was awful at it, right? I, it, was, it was a struggle. Like, I wish I could be good at Spanish class. And how many of you ever remember conjugating verbs in Spanish class? Okay, if you know what I'm talking about, you just threw up in your mouth a little bit. That's, it's like the word. Why do you need six versions of that word? Just give me one. It would be so much easier, okay? I, always, I kind of felt stupid in Spanish class. Like, it was a struggle for me. And, and I'm like, can you just dumb things down a little bit? And then later in life, I realized there was this company that put out books like this. You know what I'm talking about? Like, the Spanish for dummies. Remember these books? They had, like, there's something for, there's all these books for dummies. Like, because we're all little dummies. That's fine. We all need help. And what, they, they made a killing off of taking ideas and concepts and making them really accessible for people, right? Just making them easier to understand. And uh, this morning, I have entitled my message, The Olivet Discourse for Dummies, okay? (laughs) Why have I named it this? Okay, the passage we're going to look at, chapter 13 of Mark, is known as the Olivet Discourse. It's found in a couple of the Gospels. And honestly, it is one of the most challenging and most disputed passages where there's some things where people just not, what is this meaning right in this moment? Like it's a challenge, okay? And so I understand that. And so that's what we're going to have to kind of look at this morning. But what we're going to do today is we're going to try and get to the core of this passage. What's the core? What's the essence that Jesus is trying to get a hold of? If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about hell. And you remember when we talked about hell, I said this, that we as Christians, we have a tendency to fixate on what we don't know and ignore the stuff we do know, right? We're like, oh, I want to get fixated in all this crazy prophetic stuff. And Jesus is like, how about you love your neighbor, right? Like, let's do the things you do know rather than trying to get focused on the things that you don't know. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to... to dig into this and I think grab onto some truths that we can be sure of, okay? To get the context of the passage that we're looking at, uh, the context is this. It's during the Passion Week. So Jesus is already entered into Jerusalem. We've had Hosanna, Hosanna. We've got Palm Sunday already happening. We're just a couple days away from the crucifixion. In fact, when you get to chapter 14, you see the Last Supper is there. So we're in that Passion Week. That's what's going on. And uh, we get here to verse number one of chapter 13. And what does it say? As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. What's going on? If you're not familiar, the temple in Jerusalem was like over the top. Herod had rebuilt this temple a few decades earlier, and it was crazy. It was massive. It was huge. It was kind of gaudy. It was covered in gold. It was just sitting at the top of a hill. It was just this wonder of the world. And for the disciples, it was the biggest thing they probably had ever seen before. And so they're walking out of this temple, and one of them just says, Jesus, look at this thing. Isn't it amazing? It's crazy. And Jesus sucks the wind out of their sails immediately. What does he say in verse number 2? Says, so you see all these great buildings, right? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Now, what is Jesus saying? He's actually making a prophetic prediction here of what took place in AD 70. This is about 40 years before this takes place, but in AD 70, the Romans come and destroy Jerusalem. Destroy, they lay siege to the city for months, eventually destroying it. They destroyed the temple, and history says that the Romans turned over every stone of the temple. And so this is a prophetic word that is amazing, you know, and and the disciples are a bit overwhelmed, I'm sure, as you can see in verse number three, it says, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, thus the Olivet Discourse, opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will all these things happen, and what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? See, they ask this follow-up question, they're like, okay, this is a big deal, Jesus, Like, what is actually taking place here? Now, here's the part when this passage gets challenging. Up until this point, like, makes sense. It starts to get challenging. Why is that? Because different Bible scholars, different biblical scholars view this in different ways, and they have different thoughts about how the rest of this passage is actually broken up because it starts talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. That's where he starts. It ends talking about the return of Christ, and the question is, when does the transition take place? And Bible scholars aren't 100% sure where that point is. You can read different scholars, and some say, oh, I think it's happening here. And based on that, you can come up with different visions of it. Is this prophecy for now? Was this a prophecy that already took place? Like, what's actually going on here, okay? And so rather than trying to figure that out, because I don't honestly think you can fully figure that out, because people far smarter than me still have opinions on both sides, we're not going to go there. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the principles Jesus is communicating to his disciples And then we're going to say, okay, what does that mean for me as a believer in 2022? That's what I want to do with scripture, okay? And so uh, it says this in verse number five, Jesus says this. He's talking to his disciples. He says, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. If you're taking notes this morning, I've got three points for you in a big "so what," and uh, and I think God's going to bring some truth to us here. Point number one is this: It ain't getting better. I told you this is the Olivet Discourse for dummies. It ain't getting better, folks. All right. Here's the deal: we have to understand. One of the false claims of modernity, one of the false claims of secular humanism, one of the false claims of culture at large is things will just keep getting better, right? That's the like, oh, we're going to make it. It's going to be amazing. We're going to have this society and everything's going to work its way out. It's going to be amazing. Given enough time, everything will work itself out. Things will keep getting better. And in one sense, it has. How many out there are, uh, are big fans of indoor plumbing? Anybody? I'm a big fan of indoor plumbing, huge fan of indoor plumbing. Okay, once upon a time, we didn't have indoor plumbing. It's gotten better. Remember last week I said, I love Amazon Prime. It's awesome, right? It got better. A few weeks ago, Amber and I went on a trip. We got in an aeroplane. And in three and a half hours, we were in Mexico on a beach. That's awesome. Okay, that's awesome. So in some ways, it's gotten better. But all you have to do is to look over the last few years to realize, you know what, there's still a fundamental flaw in our world. Sin is at work in our world, and sin destroys, it breaks down, it corrupts. That's just what it does, right? How many of you were excited because it kind of felt like, oh, man, the world can go back to normal because COVID's feeling like it's on the back burner? And then Russia invades Ukraine. You're like, seriously? The whole world's going crazy again. Because we have this feeling like, oh, everything should just get, we can all work out. Like everything will just get better eventually. And Jesus is saying, listen, you gotta understand something. It ain't getting better, folks. Like it just isn't, you know? And I'll say this, for some of us at times, you know, we have, um, we look at what's going on in our world and I think Christians can be very, very guilty of doing this. We look at what's going on in our world, what's happening, and we play the this is that game. I've told you this before, right? The this is that game. What's the this is that they look at the news like Russia's invading Ukraine. Ooh, this is that thing from Revelation. This is that thing from there. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, I don't know. But Christians have been doing that for centuries and getting it wrong. So if your goal in life is to play that this is that game, you're missing the point, right? That, that If Jesus' goal was to have such clarity in this prophecy that everyone knew exactly what he meant, then he didn't do a very good job. So if that's the case, then I would say that's probably not his primary point. His primary point is to make aware to every believer throughout the last 2,000 years, ladies and gentlemen, it ain't getting better, okay? Sin is in the world. There is a brokenness in our world, and we need to just recognize that. We shouldn't be surprised by that. It shouldn't surprise us when it gets bad. I golfed with this guy one time, okay? guy and so so first tee box if you're not familiar with golf the goal is to hit it straight right straight down the fairway so first tee box he gets up and he takes a swing shanks the thing and it's just this massive slice off into the woods and he says unbelievable I said okay cool so next hole happens does it again i mean we're, every hole, the thing is just shanking to the right, you know? He gets to, like, hole number 15, hits it, go off into the woods again. He goes, unbelievable. And I said, it's not that unbelievable. <laughs> like, have you been watching yourself for the last 15 holes? I could have told you that was what was going to happen. And yet, what do we do as, as, as Christians? I get the world, but as Christians, we look around. Oh, my goodness, it's just getting so bad. Yeah. He said that's gonna happen. Is this a surprise to you? Is this a shocker? Oh my goodness, it's going. People are evil and doing bad things. Shocker. Like, is this surprising? Oh no, there's earthquakes. He said there'd be earthquakes. Like, like this isn't a surprising thing for us. In fact, he uses the reference of birth pains. He's like, this is birth, you know what happens with birth pains? What? It gets worse and worse. It gets more intense. That's what happens. So it shouldn't surprise us when this takes place. Sin does what sin does. It corrupts, it destroys, it kills. And this is why the book of Revelation chapter 21 and 22 looks so good. Why? There's no more pain, no more tears, no more hurt. It's supposed to look different than the world we live in. That's why it's so enticing. Starting point, it ain't getting better. Point number two, faithfulness will cost you. Faithfulness will cost you. What's it say in verse nine? You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. Verse number 13, everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. I talk about this regularly here as... uh, as an encouragement to you, and it's one of the main reasons why people walk away from faith. We got committed followers, people who have decided, I'm gonna follow Jesus, and then something bad happens in their life. They got a health problem, they got a relational problem, they got some other question in their faith, and they think to themselves, I didn't sign up for this, and they bail on faith. See it happen on a regular basis. The problem is they may have never received all the terms of the agreement. You know what it is? When you, when you sign up for something, you get the terms of agreement. Here's the terms of agreement. And I say there's a lot of people out there who may have received the genie Jesus invitation, right? Come to Jesus, and he'll you know, give you all your grants, all your wishes, and everything will be perfect. You're not going to have any problems. And when you get that genie Jesus invitation, and things go sideways, and things go, go the way that you want them to go, suddenly you're like, this whole thing doesn't work, and I'm going to walk away. But Jesus says this. Hear it clearly. Faithfulness will cost you. It's going to cost you. It's not It's not always easy. Jesus says this, listen, I offer you salvation. I offer you peace. I offer you eternal life. It is a good thing, but at the end of the day, you are going to have to die to yourself and come follow me. And even, even if you die well and you are faithful to me and you pursue me and you run after me, right, even if you do that, it may not always work out well for you. There may be times when you are still persecuted for your faith. And actually, it's more of a promise. There will be times when you are persecuted for your faith in Jesus. Full disclosure, as the text says, faithfulness will cost you. It just will. And Jesus is warning his believers. These are his guys. Listen, he's about to get killed. He's about to leave. And he's saying, guys, you got to be ready for it. It ain't always going to be easy. It's going to be hard sometimes. Sometimes. Being faithful to me is going to be hard sometimes. And us American Christians, we like to whine about persecution. We do. We like to whine about it. Now, should we pursue religious freedom? Absolutely. That's our privilege as Americans. It's our privilege as Americans to be able to fight for those things. But we whine about persecution as if our life is on the line at times. We have no idea what it is to truly be persecuted. We've been inconvenienced as followers of Christ for sure. Let me tell you, there's, I know, I've heard stories of uh, people serving Christ in Iran, a couple in Iran, husband and wife, in a, in a nation where following Christ is detrimental to your health, and they have to have the conversation, the wife saying, okay, here's what's going to happen if I follow Christ and someone finds out, I'm going to be most likely raped by a large group of men and then I'm probably going to be killed. And they have to decide, is it worth it? And they say, whatever it takes to be faithful to Christ, we will endure it. Now, I don't know what that's like. You don't know what that's like. But Jesus is saying, here's the sobering reality. Faithfulness will cost you. In this country, it may never be at the point where that is the result of faithfulness to Christ. But it could be. We don't know. And Jesus is saying, hey, before we get to that point, <laughs> before you get faced with it, you just have to be ready for the potential. And for us as followers, you say, you know what, well, we're not experiencing that, so we don't have it. Well, there's going to be challenges to your faith. Staying faithful to Christ, young person, is going to have consequences, it's going to cost you something. There's gonna be times where you are not the popular one because you are being faithful to Christ. There's gonna be times where you are the one getting torn apart by others because you are faithful to Christ. There are the times where you're gonna to have to make financial decisions that actually don't benefit your pocketbook because you're staying faithful to Christ. I don't know what it looks like for your life, but every believer has to recognize that faithfulness will cost us. And that's the call that we've been given as followers of Christ, all right? So we say, it ain't getting better. Faithfulness will cost you, but Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. This is the blessed hope. Of the believer, the return of Jesus, the return of Christ. He's coming again. Most people have heard about Jesus coming once, but a lot of people don't recognize he is coming again. Maybe you're here this morning, you're a guest because somebody getting a kid dedicated or something like that, and you're like, yeah, I've heard about the baby in a manger kind of thing, and I've heard of a cross kind of thing. No, Jesus is coming again. What does it say in uh, verse number 26? It says this, is that at that time, people will see the Son of Man. Jesus is talking about himself. That's the phrase he would use for himself, the Son of Man, coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. It goes on and says this in verse 32. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on your guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. You see, the first time that Jesus came, a lot of people missed it. Most people, the baby, they missed it. But the second time Jesus comes, nobody's going to miss it. All right? When he came the first time, he came as the baby. When he's returning, he's returning as the conquering king, the Lord of lords, the king of kings. He is coming in power and authority. Now, why does this matter? Why is Jesus in this talk where he's talking all the depressing stuff up here, why is he reminding them of this? It's this reason. If you forget this, there's no reason to endure this. Yes. Yeah. If you forget that he's coming back, there's going to be those times you're like, man, it just keeps getting bad around here. Like, Whoa. And then it's really hard to stay faithful. to Christ. Like it's actually costing me something to follow Christ. Like why would I do this? Like, what good is this for my life? It's made, I would rather just like try, try to milk 50, 60, 80, 100 happy years out of my life, like try to have as much joy as I can in this life. I'd rather do that. It just seems like the better use of my time. And Jesus is saying, hey, you got to remember this. Don't forget this. If you forget this, nothing else is going to be worth it, okay? But when you understand this, anything is worth it compared to the glory of being with our Savior and Lord for all of eternity. You have to remember Jesus is coming again. So often we as believers, we act like everybody else. Why? Because we're experiencing this, but we forget this, right? Right? We know this, oh yeah, I know it's not always easy and I'll just try and grit my teeth and bear it. No, but remember this, get your eyes on this. Look at the right thing. Get your hope in the right place, okay? And so he gives us an action step. Jesus closes this with a very practical thing and this is what is our, our big so what. I always have a so what, what's the point of this thing? If you forget everything else I shared this morning, it's this, keep watch. Keep watch. What does he say? Look at verse number 34. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch, watch, keep watch. If we're honest, we think about our own lives, and if I I say the landscape of Christianity at whole here in America, we don't keep watching a whole lot. We're not looking to that day so much. We don't have a lot of expectancy going on in our hearts for that day. What I see in my own life and I see in Christianity at a large is very much a focus on here, now, and today. And what's the result of that? In Christianity, you don't see a lot of hope greater than what you see in the world. You see depressed and discouraged Christians because their eyes are looking at the same things that everybody else is looking at. What I have, what I don't have, what I got going in this temporary world, that's where our eyes are. And see, what he's challenging us to do is say, listen, if you want to live differently, then you have to look differently. You've got to get your eyes in a different place. Keep watch. Have an expectancy in your heart for what God is going to do in your life and what he wants to do in all of eternity. See, I, I think for a lot of us, we, if we could change where our focus was, a lot of things could change in our life. Yeah. But we fixate on, on the now and the hard rather than fixate on the then and the, the king who can do all things. I think our attitude should be like my kids when Papa and Grandma are coming. What happens? Uh, Probably you can recognize this in your own families probably. you know we say, "Hey pop and grandma are coming, right And the kids get excited. they're very excited. and they know the day that Pop and Grandma's is coming, you know so they wake up in the morning, first thing, when are they come?? right And they're thinking about it all the time, right They're asking like, they're all jittery. you can see they're just like excited. they're excited because Pop and grandma come. right They come home from school. Are they here yet? Are they here yet? No, no, not here yet. You see them. What are they doing? They're going to the front room looking in the window every once in a while. are they here yet? I hear you? Why? There's this expectancy. There's this excitement. They know what's coming, right? And they're looking for it. And they're doing other things, and they've got other things going on, just like you and I. We've got stuff that we have to We've still got our lives, all those kind of things. We have to live. We're not, you know, it's not just we're caught up in this moment. And I'm no good to anyone down here. No, but there's this, this joy in our heart because we know someone's coming, right? And I think that's the heart that God desires for us to have. Would we live differently? Because here's what you see in my kids. Doesn't matter what else is going in life there's like this excitement and this joy in their heart the whole day because they know who's coming. Like, doesn't matter. Hey, we got to eat our vegetables. Doesn't matter. Pop and gram are coming, right? Like, we're excited. We're excited, okay? And I think that's what should mark a believer. Oh, does things suck sometimes? Yup. They do. I wish everything was perfect in your life, but it isn't always perfect. It's going to be hard sometimes. Guess what? Things in my life sting sometimes too. But you know what? My king's still coming. This light and temporary trial is not worth letting go of. No, I say, God, I want to be faithful to you. I want to pursue you. I want to serve you because I know where this thing ends. I know who is coming. And we have to be those who keep watch. And we have to remind ourselves, don't get our eyes stuck right here. God, when we have eyes that are up expecting our Savior, who is coming. May we be those who are found faithful. I want to talk to three groups as I close this morning. I want to talk to those who would consider yourself a follower of Christ. Keep watch. Keep watch. Because we as followers of Christ, we are just as guilty of this, of getting our eyes out and say, God, God, can I get my eyes in the right place? Can I stay focused? May my priorities be in the right place. May I be pursuing the right things. God, when you come back, may you find, might be like, oh, shoot, I hope he doesn't come on this day. No, would we be ready? Be those who are passionately being responsive to his word, to what he's asked us, being faithful to what he's called us to. God, remind us, revive this vision of the return of Christ in our hearts. That it wouldn't just be some theological point, but it would be a reality that literally grabs us and changes the way that we live. For those of you that I would say are, maybe you're you're somebody who sits on the fence when it comes to faith. And you know who you are just when I say that. Maybe you're somebody who said, you know what? I come to church some, I'm not, I don't, I'm not really pursuing Christ, you know? Maybe you've been one who said, you know, someday I'll get serious about my faith for now. I'm just gonna kind of be fine being here. You know, I'm not really gonna dive in. Scripture talks about being lukewarm. Maybe that's where you call yourself. Keep watch. I don't say this to scare you. I say it because Jesus challenged people. Be aware because Christ can return at any time on his schedule and the father not not on ours so he said be ready have a sober mind when it comes to this thing this morning you may need to say God I I need to have a a come to Jesus moment where I'm reminded of this reality and that I begin living in light of it but I want to talk to the last group and that might be those who are just here maybe you'd say I'm not a follower of Christ I'm just here I'm just visiting somebody invited me today I love that you're here I'm so grateful that you're here and there's really good news for you good news of the gospel as as Steph said talked about earlier is that you can experience the life and the hope and the eternal life available through Christ and it isn't because you're good it's because God gave his very son for you and if you would put your faith and your trust in Jesus what does it mean to believe in his death and resurrection for your sin and to surrender your life to make him the king and the lord and the leader of your life if you would do that he would give you what you could never purchase for yourself and when he comes he is you are ready for him when he comes you get invited into his kingdom for all eternity that's available for you but it requires a step It isn't the genie Jesus invitation. It's the, I'm all yours, Jesus. It's the only way we receive the good things he's offered to us. So I want us to close, and I want us all to respond for a moment. Because I think we all need a moment on this one, all right? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes across the room. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just speak to every heart right now wherever we're at in our faith, wherever we're at in our journey, God, I pray that you would call us deeper to you, lead us deeper to you. Lord, we repent of the the times that we've been hopeless simply because we have not looked at the right things. God, forgive us of that. And Lord, we want to get our eyes in the right place, that we would be those who keep watch, who remind ourselves that we are living for another kingdom, not for this kingdom. With every head bow and every eye close, I want to talk to those who Either um, you would like to give your life to Jesus or you're one who would say, you know what, I'm totally lukewarm in my faith and I'm just kind of been sitting on the fence and I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I need to be ready. If Jesus were to return today, I need to be ready and I'm not ready today. If that's you and you want to submit your life to Christ, you want to place your faith in him, you want to trust in him for your salvation, you want to make him the Lord and the leader of your life. If that's you, with every head bow, every eye closed, I just invite you to lift a hand right now just to... So as a response in your own heart, to say, God, I need you. Would you lift a hand right now and say, God, I give you my life. I surrender my life to you. Yeah. Yeah. If that's you, raise a hand. Go and just respond. It's just between you and God. Yeah. Yeah. Several hands across the room. It's the greatest decision you can ever make. I'm gonna invite you just to pray in your own hearts. Pray a prayer like this. Just respond to God on your own. God, I... Thank you for inviting me into your kingdom. And I, I admit that I've either been on the fence or I've just been walking the wrong direction, Lord, and, and instead I want to completely surrender to you. I believe in Jesus. I believe in his death and resurrection. And God, I want to I live for him. Pray that you would wash my sin away, that you would make me clean. God, that you would uh, give me a brand new beginning. As it says in scripture, we get to be a new creation. I pray that you would make us a new creation in you. And Lord, we surrender our lives to you. Help us to live for you, for your glory and submission to you, God. God, we pray that we would help, help us to live a different way in light of the reality of Christ's returning. God, that we would be filled with your spirit, filled with joy, filled with a peace and a hope that the world doesn't have. It's because of what Christ has done in us. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Would you stand with me across the room? I want all of us to pray together. And I'm going to talk to you, um, those who responded to Christ, I'm going to talk to you in just a moment, so stick with me, all right? But I want us, as, a, as followers, it's really easy um, to kind of go, go through the motions of life and to get distracted by, you know, just what's happening around here and forget that this is ultimately about his kingdom. That's where our eyes should be. God, how do we live in that? And so there's, there's a prayer that I want us to close in prayer today. And it's the prayer that Jesus taught us, right? And what we do, and some of you may need to pray this prayer every day this week to remind yourself of, hey, God, whose kingdom am I living for? Where is my focus at? What's the attention of my life? But I want us to close together with this prayer and just ask God to guide us and to lead us that he would be our source, all right? Would you pray with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, God, I pray that you would help us to live for your kingdom, not our own. That we would keep watch on the Savior who is coming and we would live in light of it. In Jesus' name.